Welcome to the Know, Like, and Trust show with Brittany Gardner, the podcast where we explore the world of personal branding and how to build your know, like, and trust factor up for ultimate business success. And now here's your host, Brittany Gardner. Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking with Bill Flynn all about the BHAG, the Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal. You're going to hear a little bit about why Bill thinks it's actually a little bit misnamed, not so much a goal, something else. You're going to hear about what to do if you don't know how to set one of these up for your business. And you're going to hear about the four things you need to know to really make this work for you and guide your business for the long term. Before we dive in, I want to read a review that a recent listener left for us here on the show. ECD Hunt says, the recent episode on showing up compelled me to write this review. This podcast has been in my regular listening rotation for a while, but that episode is something that everyone could benefit from hearing. Thank you for consistently sharing such great content. Brittany is definitely someone I've gotten to know, like, and trust. Okay, well, obviously, goal achieved if we are working on the KLT factor and it's actually happening for you. So that's always a good thing. Thank you so much, ECD Hunt. I really appreciate your kind words. And also, if you have been listening to this show regularly like them, please go ahead and leave a review on the platform in which you're currently listening to this. I read most of my reviews from Apple Podcasts, so that's my preferred place, of course. But there are plenty of places you can review the show so that you can help other people get the same great information. You can even hop right over there and leave a review while you are listening to this. It won't pause. You get to keep listening to this great content. And as we move forward to this episode, you can even reference some of those things while you're writing your review if it helps you. All right, a little bit about Bill. And I'm actually going to read most of Bill's bio verbatim because I really like how he pulled in a few things here. So it says Bill Flynn collaborates with Alan Mulally, has pitched Steve Jobs, accomplished much failed often, and learned many useful lessons from 30 years of studying the science of success. He is best described as a pragmatic Simon Sinek, an optimist, and an operator. We can go on to say about all the things he's done, all of the people he's worked with, all of the high dollar revenues he's been a part of. But what I really want you guys to take from today's interview is that he loves geeking out on this stuff and that we all can benefit from his great experience in this. So on to our interview with Bill. We're going to dive into the BHAG right now. All right, Bill, welcome to the No Like and Trust Show. Well, thank you for having me. I look forward to it. So I'm really excited to talk with you. I know that you could easily talk about any number of topics and, you know, sometimes things get a little messy when people know a lot of things, if you will. But I'm really excited for you to talk a little bit about the big, hairy, audacious goal. And I know that this term is probably not new to a lot of people, but I I feel like when it comes to actually implementing it and then building things around it, it's something that gets, you know, shall we say swept under the rug. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you come at with this? Certainly. Well, for those of you who don't know, uh, BHAG is is a term that Jim Collins kind of created through his book, Good to Great, and has been used for 20 or 30 years since then. I can't remember when the book was out, but sometime in the 90s, if I remember. So basically, for him, it's this thing that these companies that he researched had as a sort of a beacon, if you will, uh, or this thing that they were trying to reach if they did a lot of the other stuff that he preached really well. I have an interesting take on a little bit is I actually don't think it's a goal. It's more of a consequence to me. Uh, Goals generally have sort of a time frame that's relatively short. You say we're going to do this in a year or two years, whatever. But 
his time frame is this big, hairy, audacious goal, which in the next 10 to 30 years you would reach. And he you know, talks about it as a way that you can recognize it when you get there. So you know, you know what it is. It has some tangibility to it as much as you can. So that's sort of the, the high-level thing on the BHAG. And I think it's uh, a really important piece of a puzzle of how to build a healthy and thriving organization. And one of the reasons I think many people don't do it is because it's scary. Uh, it's audacious. And you actually don't know how you're going to get there when you set it, which frightens a lot of people. And that's the actual purpose. He says, if it doesn't scare you a little, then you're not trying hard enough. You got to sort of think bigger and think um, longer term or, or whatever it might be. But it is this really important piece because when I work with my clients, to put it in a larger context, most of the time I work with them are on sort of the key critical decisions that they're making to run their business. But uh, to have a rubric or some sort of bookends, if you will, or, or beacons, guideposts, whatever you want to call it, to those decisions makes those decisions a lot easier. And BHAG is one of those things. Um, BHAG is your sort of growth end game, right? We want to grow to this size. We want to do this thing or we want to accomplish this much, whatever that thing will be. And, and I'll talk a little bit about the different kinds of types that are out there. But you also have this other bookend. So that's sort of far out in the distance. And I, my metaphor is, so you have this lighthouse that's way off in the distance and that's sort of your BHAG. But you also have this one that's near you to make sure that you don't sort of crash into the rocks on the way. Because if you grow for growth's sake, there's a great saying by this gentleman, I think his name is Edward Abbey. And growth for growth's sake, he says, is the ideology of a cancer cell. So you definitely want to have an idea to get there. But if you just grow for growth's sake, then you, you'll probably make decisions that you'll regret in the past. And there are plenty of examples that I've read about where this has happened some 10 years later in one example. So the other lighthouse or this other grounding thing, if you will, is what I call identity. And that is about your core purpose, your core values and uh, your core objectives, those things that ground you. So let's say you come up with an idea, hey, I'm going to grow this, this business and it's a great idea. And it sounds like it would really work. It sounds like it might fit with what your customers want. It maybe it fits a thing in the marketplace, et cetera. But you also want to make sure it doesn't violate who you are, what you care about, what you're good at, et cetera. Because then, again, as I said, you'll often regret it. So that's sort of the context that I put it in. There's a couple other things I want to talk about relative to that. But I'll pause for a second and let you chime in if you'd like. Yeah. So there, there's two things I want to pull out here. So I like how you said that it's, it's more than just a goal, because a lot of times when we as, as business owners say, I'm going to set a goal, you know, we look at a framework such as like the SMART goal, you know, is it, you know, specific, measurable, all of that kind of stuff. But you're talking about something that isn't necessarily going to have a direct pathway because it's so big and it's so far off in the future that you actually can't apply some of those frameworks to this kind of goal or consequence. Exactly. So true. And then the second thing I wanted to pull out, just because I, I really like what you said, is the, the grounding features of having your core values or or things like that. Because I, I personally look at core values as something that you can filter all decisions through. Well, does this honor my core values? Or does it you know, object? Does it have a problem with my core values? And I think we've all experienced being in someone's world when they have grown for, for growth's sake. And you're like, whoa. You are, are meeting some goals here, but at what cost? Yes, and the cost is pretty stark. So I'll touch on two things that you said there, because I think what you said is really important is, so I'll tell you the quick story that I mentioned earlier. So there was a, there's a, there's a book called Small Giants, and I love this organization. They're kind of the good to great for the little guy. 
So these people want to be great companies, but they don't necessarily want to be huge. They don't want to be multi-billion dollar businesses. They want to be really healthy, but smaller. They've made deliberate decisions to, to stay small. And uh, there was one company, I think it was Real Manufacturing, which was around in the 80s, 90s. I think it's still around today. And they made um, hinges. And one of their core values was high quality. They wanted to be the high quality provider of hinges. But at some point along the way, especially when laptops became more prevalent you know, over the desktop, obviously, if you have a laptop, there's a hinge in there, right? Because the, the, the thing has to go up and down. And they wanted to get into that. They thought that would be great growth. But they found that uh, electronics industry, the price of things goes down over time, not up. Uh, as technology goes, and you sort of follow Moore's law, et cetera. So they would have to figure it out um, what to do in order to to be in that in that realm. And there's this there's this um, triumvirate that is talked about a lot. I can give you quality, service, or price. Pick any two, right? And they were trying to pick. They wanted to stay high quality, but then they were sort of sucked into this um, volume game, and they had to sacrifice quality. And uh, the author of the book, his name is Bo Burlingham, went back 10 years later after he wrote the first book and went back to all the companies that he interviewed and checked in. And he heard this story that Real almost went out of business. And when they traced back uh, to what happened, you know, as, as we said earlier off, offline, you sort of go back and see all those connections. It was this decision 10 years earlier to get into the laptop business. It affected a lot of people who really bought into the whole identity thing were upset. Many of them left. Obviously, they had to make decisions. Uh, they were always taking care of their employees, but they, they weren't getting the cash anymore. They were certainly getting the, the revenue, but they weren't getting the cash anymore. So they couldn't do all these wonderful things for their employees. And so those those people left and just a whole bunch of things, just uh, confluence of events that came back on them because they were growing, you know, for growth's sake. And I emphasize what you said about that sort of those, that identity. I think it's more than just values, but values are certainly important. There's purpose, there's competencies, there's other, there's other core things about you that you should make sure that, that you check in with to, to at least give you a sense of, is that the right decision to make? And the other thing I like to talk about is, so the BHAG is also connected to a number of other things. And those things I've mentioned a little bit, but I'll sort of give the list of the things that I think they're really connected to. And that is your purpose and your passion. So your core purpose, uh, for those of you who aren't, this is basically why did we start? What what impact are we trying to make in the world or our world um, is your core purpose? And of course, your passion, which is what gets you out of bed, right? What, what, what gets you excited and gets your, what makes it so time flies for you? That needs to be in there because if you do things that, that might get you to growth, but you don't enjoy over time, when things get tough, you'll probably be more likely to quit or, or certainly uh, slack off a little bit, and that, that doesn't help you at all. It also has to align with your core customer, or if it doesn't, then you probably have to find a new core customer, uh, and that's, that is a difficult process and usually takes years to move out of uh, to do that. That is sometimes what happens. Uh, you, you sometimes have to say, look, our core customer is no longer... It, and, and there's a great example, Microsoft um, is no longer really in the operating system business. You know, so they have switched to a different kind of core customer. They're more um, on the B2B side with Satya Nadella. So they made a, you know, that's that was a huge transition, but clearly it worked out really well. They're actually a more, they're a stronger company than certainly under Barmer, uh, but maybe even under, under Gates on a relative basis. So there's purpose, passion, there's core customer, and there's this profit per X, which is really your economic engine. What is the X of what we do, this widget thing that that we that we do for our customers. Mine is, an, I call it an engagement. Uh, my X is engagement, and aid engagement could be a coaching session, it could be a speaking engagement, it could be some sort of writing that I do, 
And I'm trying to make sure that I optimize that profit as much as I can. So I'm always looking for ways to certainly stay aligned with my passion, my purpose, et cetera, um, but also make sure that if I want to have a really good business, you have to have cash to be able to invest in that growth. And then, of course, your competencies. What are we really good at? Or what could we be good at if we took the time and effort to do? That that BHAG is really the tip of the iceberg That's and, and all this other stuff is underneath, right? The purpose, passion, core customer, profit per X, and your core business competencies are the thing that are holding that up that allow you to to say that's what we're that's what we're headed towards. So that's so important if you're looking to create a BHAG. Those are kind of your your checkpoints to say, okay, is this something that aligns with our purpose? We love it. Will our customer care about it? Will it drive our economic engine? And can we do it? Can we do it at a level that we want to do it and make sure that we are uh, leaders in in whatever space we decide we want to be or one of the leaders in our space? All right. So there's a lot to unpack here. (laughs) So what would you say to a person who's, you know, they've heard of this concept and they're like, okay, you know, it's it's time for me to do that. Obviously, I've been running my business without a BHAG up till now. Where do they go? I mean, you gave us those four things that kind of, you know, rest beneath the BHAG, but where do they go if they have never actually thought about what does the business ultimately drive towards? So here's what I typically do is is I buy all of my leaders a book. It's called Vivid Vision. It was written by a gentleman. His name is Cameron Herald. And the reason I do that is that this is what your team wants from you. If you want to be a leader, what makes a leader? And we have all these people in the leadership industry that say, oh, it's about integrity and honesty and charisma and whatever. But if you look at really great leaders in terms of leaders that have been successful in some measurable way, it's all over the map. Some some are honest, some aren't. Some have integrity, some don't. Uh, some have uh, a great charisma, some are quiet and demure. Uh, so there's no real thing there. But all of them had some sort of compelling vision that people wanted to follow. They were able to somehow create followers. We can argue whether they're good leaders or, or not, and, and that's a whole other discussion. We'll do another podcast on that one. But they've created this vision. And, and I think the other thing they need to really do that is to have courage because people, if you're doing a vision, you're looking out into the future, you know, maybe years, many people are going to say you're crazy. And, and that often happens, right? You know, that's sort of the Apple thing where the crazy ones, uh, et cetera. So you have to have courage and you have to have courage to, as you grow, to, to give up your business to the, the people who are running it. And cause your job is to look out front, et cetera. So when you write this vision and you write it in such a way that you can imagine that you've already made it, that's how you have to write it. Uh, and it's generally a, it's a multi-page document that I have them write. And it, it has a lot of these things. It has values and purpose, et cetera. And, but it describes in some, some level of detail what it looks like when my vision is realized. And from that, that will give you a lot of fodder for what the BHAG will most likely be. Because you'll start to see, okay, so our customers will be like this. They'll say these things about us. Our, our employees will enjoy working us for, with us for these reasons. Etc. So that's typically what I recommend anyone do, whether you're starting a business from scratch or whether you already have one. If you don't have some sort of vision that's written down, everything else becomes harder because it's much, much easier to work backwards than it is to work forwards. And most businesses are working forwards. They're incremental in their approach. And that's why most businesses die. Most businesses don't last five years. 50% of all businesses die in the fifth year. 
so it's not a good track record. And by the way, it gets worse from there. It doesn't get better. It goes to 25% at 15 and about 16% at 25. So the longer you're in business, the less likely you're going to stay in business. And I think one of those reasons is this, is you haven't set that wonderful vision, uh, the ideal outcome of what we're trying to accomplish, which, you know, as Simon Sinek says, you, you have to get people to believe what you believe. But first you have to tell them, what do I believe? So they can decide whether they believe that or not and whether they want to help you get there or not. So that's always my advice to any leader is you don't have to buy Cameron's book, but but write a vision. Ari Weinzweig, who's at Zingerman's, has a great way to write a vision. I don't really care how you do it, but you should have something that's very clear and and very vivid, so you can so those who are reading it can see it. And, and that's the other thing: you must write it down. You can't just have it in your head. You must write it down and share it with everyone. So when you say share it with everyone, I mean, are you saying, you know, blast out your list? Are you saying put it somewhere on your website? Or are you saying that when you're sharing it with everyone, you are taking pieces of this this vision statement, if you will, and you are incorporating them into all other things? I would say, so I'm more trusting than most. <laughs> so I would say, minimally, you should share it with all of your key stakeholders. So those are all your all your employees, all of your customers, at least your key customers, all your key suppliers, any partners that you have, et cetera, and says, this is how we're doing business. This is what we're trying to accomplish. We'd love you to help us do it. And and I have seen this and read this many times. When you do that, you would be amazed at how those relationships change. And th they start to see that, okay, I know who these people are, and it creates gr greater bonds, it creates greater trust, which I know we're very fond of on this show. It's amazing what it will do to help you realize it. Well, you keep it to yourself because, I don't know, you think someone's going to steal it or something, whatever your whatever your fear is. That actually works against you more often than not. Maybe there's a couple of things, you know, that, you know, some weapons or something. I don't know, but I can't imagine. There are very, very few things that you wouldn't want to share with those people who are supposed to help you get there. Uh, so that's how I would have you share it. Whether you put it on your website or not, that's up to you. I don't know that you have to, but minimally, I say, share it with all your employees and anyone who's a new employee. So when you go through the interview process and you have someone who you think you're going to bring on board, hand them this document and say, this is what you're getting yourself into. If you are on board, awesome, let's go. If not, tell us now because you're going to be miserable because we're living this every day. Cheers to that, man. I love that. <laughs> I have so many friends who are more in the employee world, not business owners, but it's always a very marked difference. You know, someone who who truly loves the company that they work for and they'll talk about it with someone who's not even in the same industry, really probably has nothing to do with, you know, what they're doing for work. And they, they just speak in such a glowing way. And then you have all your, your other friends, right? All the people who are, you know, oh, I've got a case of the Mondays again. And, you know, from the entrepreneurial viewpoint that I have, I'm like, quit. Why are you there? Go do your own thing. But not everyone has that mindset, shall we say. But yeah, I think hiring people who can really get behind what you stand for and then sharing that with your your clients, especially those those key clients, as you said, I feel that it not only cements the relationship, it, it gives people that permission to turn around and talk about you in a new way as well. Totally. We as human beings, we, we have this fundamental tension. So I'm, I'm a bit of a neuroscience geek. I can't remember if I mentioned that earlier. So I've been studying neuroscience for, for 15 years or so. And I have a couple of certificates from the Neuro Leadership Institute and other places. And one of the tenets is that we have this sort of fundamental tension, which is we all want to belong, but we all also want to be seen as unique. And there's this great meme that I saw a number of years ago, which I think exemplifies it well, is so picture this 
this classroom that has sort of the stadium seating, like theater seating, right? So it it's, goes up uh, in the back. And you have all the students, it's fully packed, and you have the perspective of the professor looking out onto the class. And everyone's taking notes on their laptops. And every single one of them, except for like one or two, have an Apple laptop. And at the bottom it says, be different. <laughs> okay, that's clever. <laughs> right? So that, and I think Apple, you know, Apple tattoos, you know, pick your interesting, the, the motorcycle gangs, whatever, right? We are all one group, but we're different. So you can get both. You can get that purpose and you can get that, that the belonging, but you can also get that uniqueness, right? We're unique because we're these kinds of people. Punk rock, you know, pick your constituency. Uh, those that are successful typically have the two things and they marry them well together. Um, so if you can't do that as a leader, then you'll have this, you know, unfortunately, I would say most of your friends are probably in that second camp where it's the Mondays uh, and very few are the ones who are so enthused and, and eager to tell you how wonderful a place it is that they work. At least statistically speaking, that's typically what happens. I want to touch on one final thing here on your website. I noticed this when we were booking our interview and everything, but right there on the front page, you say that, you know, there's a reason so many businesses fail. And, and the second reason that you list is that few things truly matter, but those that do matter tremendously. And and first of all, just from a point of view of writing, it's a brilliant sentence. I love it. But beyond that, you say that leaders do not spend enough time here. So I know that the BHAG, obviously, if it's the thing that drives you forward, but also allows you to work backwards, it's going to be one of those things. And And from your experience working with business owners, how often do you say people have really embraced this? So first of all, thank you very much. That's actually my sentence. Uh, I stole the concept from this guy, Richard Koch, who's written books on the 80-20 principle, many books on the 80-20 principle. But when I came up with the sentence, I put it out onto Google and there's no one who said it. So it's, it's like my only contribution to quotes. Maybe someday I'll, I'll be quoted. So thank you very much. That's great because I don't consider myself much of a writer. So here's the issue is that we are enamored of the new and we think the new is going to solve a lot of our problems, right? Oh, we just need a new product. Uh, we have to get some more customers. We have to do this. And often the companies that do really well, they go deep. They don't go wide and they go deep first, then they go wide. And because we really don't get to the root of a number of things, we really don't know why our customers buy from us. We think we do. And we're often wrong. And I have I have personal experience of that on seven different occasions that I've been involved with founders who thought they knew what they're doing. And then I did some customer development work, customer discovery, and found out that they were wrong. Sometimes it was uh, uh, not beneficial to the company, and sometimes it was. So that's what we, we also think we know what our, our team cares about and what they, what's important to them, and we don't do that either. And I think if you just focused on those two only, how do we make sure that we really understand our team and, our, and the people here and how to... How do we make their lives better? How do we make sure that when, when they come in to work every day, they're trying to, as, as often as possible, they can do stuff they love to do. That, you know, when you're, when you're doing it for an hour, it feels like five minutes and it gives you energy. How can we make sure that we're, we really understand our customers so they say, you know what, the reason I buy from you is you just get me. You understand my problems and my struggles and you found a way to make them a little easier. We don't do those things. We guess and often we guess wrong and I think that's why that horrible statistic, you know, set of statistics that I mentioned was we, the longer we're in business, the more likely it is we're go going out of business because we don't do anything terribly wrong. But in chaos theory, there's this sentence, which I love, which is tiny errors compound. And if you keep making tiny errors, 
you go a little too wide. You try to, instead of going deep with a customer, you try to get more customers that are close to them, but you you're, you spread your product lines and your features out to the side as opposed to deep down. I think that's why we, we have these numbers. It's a total theory. I have no data to back it up, but uh, I think I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of leaders and I've found that many of them are guessing. And there is some guessing, but there, there doesn't need to be nearly as much guessing as, as goes on today, in my opinion. I like that. I think so much of what we see online, it, I mean, people are saying, well, if you don't know the answer to that, take your best guess. Oh, and that's perfectly fine. But you should also say, okay, let's go check. I always say, well, how do you know? That's your guess. But how do you know that's right? And go check. Go find out the information. Just see if, if you've got it or not. Sometimes you have to guess just to give it a shot. Hypothesizing is great, especially if you're starting a business. Guessing is wonderful. But then go go validate your guess. Go talk to customers. You know, the guys at Airbnb didn't become a smashing success until I can't remember who it was. I think it was Joe Gibby or it could have been the other Brian. I think it was Brian Chemsky or whatever his name is. He went to New York and sat in the apartments of the people who were his best customers. And he just watched them use the product. And it was from that where he finally got some empathy and said, oh, my God, we're not we're not helping them. Right. And he came back to the guys and said, we need to change the interface and how we do things, et cetera. And that's when they took off. And they got that compassion, right? They had empathy with action. To me, is compassion. That's great. I love how you describe that with the example, though, because yes, guesswork is good. You need to validate. But sometimes knowing how to validate is as simple as asking to watch. Yeah, behavior. I'm a behaviorist, right? The only time you really know what someone really thinks is is when they act. Right? I'm not like surveys are not studies, are not research, are not science. Right. Science is when it's repeatable and you and you see the behavior and the behaviors happens over and over and over again. Too often we don't go to that level um, and people will lie to you all the time. If someone comes to you and says, hey, Brittany, what kind of movies do you really like to see? And, and I'll just use an example. As a, and you might say, oh, I love the piano and I love the I love um, 12 Years a Slave and, you know, Schindler's List or whatever. Right. And then if I say, well, what movies have you seen in the last three or four months? You're going to say, well, I went to the Avengers and the Conjuring and the Halloween. <laughs> right. So one is your aspiration and the other is what you actually value. And so people are always lying to themselves and lying to us because uh, you know, ego and reputation is a big thing. It's part of our it's part of our brain. You know, if you have a good reputation, then you'll get the food and you'll get the shelter and you'll get you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's wired into our brain over hundreds and hundreds and thousands of generations. But we don't know it's happening to us because it's outside of our conscious awareness. So when you get in there and you really understand what drives someone, then they'll tell you get them and you can really really help them solve their problems, like Waze did versus Google Maps, right? Waze was bought over a billion dollars because they understood the problem wasn't giving them a map. It was getting from point A to point B on time. And they figured out how to do that. So when it comes back to the BHAG, because all of this is is very much related, but you know, I think as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as leaders, we we have the tendency to, like you said, look at the new thing going to wide rather than deep. How do we rein in all of this information and then make sure that it is still putting us in the right direction? So if you don't have that other stuff that I mentioned earlier, you know, the purpose, passion, all those kind of things, it's really hard to come up with a BHAG that makes any sense. And the BHAG should be scary, but people should say, hell yeah, if we did that, man, I would love to be part of that. That's what you want. You want a hell yeah. You you don't want to, yeah, that's cool. Let's try that. It needs to be a hell yeah. And by the way, I've done this with several of my clients. It's also one of those sort of V8 moments, if you will, where once they finally get it, they hit themselves and say, of course it's that. What else could it be? But it, sometimes I've had months and months go by before my clients actually picked one that they thought was the right thing. 
So you do have to do some of the other work. You have to you have to understand that, that you have to do the work underneath, which is you know really understand your purpose, your passion, your, your your identity, who your best customers are, what drives your economic engine, and what you're really good at. Because you need all these people that are behind you that you're leading to want to help you, and and they're involved in the equation. So you have to do that first. If you haven't done that, don't pick a BHAG. It will be horrible. People will roll their eyes. They'll tell you that you don't even know what you're talking about. It may lead you in a direction that really you don't want to go. And often it may take years before you realize that. And then that could be a problem if you don't have enough cash in the bank to recover. Yeah. All right. Well, I think you wrap that up nicely. Any closing thoughts? There are four types of BHAGs that, that Jim Collins talks about. One is target-oriented, so like a, a, a dollar amount or you know, you know it's a target that you're going for. One is a role model. Like We want to be seen as this. It's like so, be, we want to be, uh, the Giro Sport Design, which was the uh, bicycle helmets, wanted to be the Nike, the Nike of the cycling industry. There's competitive, which is Nike in, in the 60s was they wanted to crush Adidas, and then there's some sort of internal one, right? We want to transform this company from a defense contractor and the best diversified high technology company in the world. That's Rockwell, or we want to transform this chemical manufacturer to be the preeminent drug making company in the world. That's Merck. So there's these four things, target-oriented, role model, competitive, internal transformation. It can be, typically it's one of those four that you're going to pick. Okay. Bill, thank you so much for coming onto the show. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, what is your preferred method for that? Everything's on my website. I, I've written a book. It's called Further Faster. A lot of the stuff is in there, and I actually teach people how to do this stuff in the book. It's a do-it-yourself book. It has, I think, 25 exercises that are on my website that you can use to do it yourself. All my other content is on there. My email address, my phone number, everything is on there. And that is www.catalystgrowthadvisors.com. Well, perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on, Brittany. All right. Thanks again, Bill, for that really great discussion. I, I love when things go a little bit off track because the reality is being an entrepreneur is messy. And while Bill did share some rather dark statistics, shall we say, we don't have to be a part of them. If we take into account the overall strategy, the overall planning, and yes, doing some of this deep work with figuring out what your passion and purpose are, we can not only beat those odds, but thrive right on past them. Thanks, Bill, and we'll see you guys next week. 